Hello and welcome to another episode of IRC Book Club. This week is a special edition as it is Christmas. Um, so Michael, as you can see, is looking particularly festive yet again. Absolutely. Well, as I was saying, you know, we were talking to Lauren about what this episode is. And I said it's like what you watch on New Year's Eve when you've got little kids and you can't find a babysitter. <laughs> Yeah, what, a bit of Jules Holland's hoot nanny? No, I don't like Jules Holland. It's like the Clive Anderson thing where he tells you about all the stuff that's gone on through the year. So we're going to summarise the six books that we've read, aren't we? Yeah, so what we were thinking was, we've actually, I'm, it's, I'm stunned to see we've got you six books. We have, but I think what's important is when we read our first book, we didn't have many views. Or listeners. No. So now I think it makes sense for us to go through the books and tell the, the listeners whether they should be reading a bit read the books and what we thought of them. Yeah, absolutely. So for those, what, I think you're absolutely right, Mike, is we've got people who have picked up with the show maybe a month, month and a half ago, actually probably missed out some good books. So what we thought we'd do is... And the content's out there. Yeah, they can go back and watch the content that yeah. exists, but now they know... Now you know it's there. So this is the Christmas edition. What we're going to do is just talk through the books we've read thus far this year. And we're also going to give you a bit of a heads up of what you need to be ordering for your Christmas stocking for next year. Uh, so, not convinced of any of these books. <laughs> tell your significant others. We're, you, we're by the way, know what the books are did you hear be. about the snowman who was rooting through the carrots? No. He was picking his nose. That's nearly as good as the one I told you earlier. About, What's that? Um, I was teaching my children about tax on top 38% of their ice cream. <laughs> 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 that was good. Well, that. That. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so the first book we read on the show way back in the summer when we've not long since moved into this office and into this building was Powerful by Patty McCord. Yeah, I mean, do you know what? So Patty McCord basically is some mega HR bod who was one of the first people at Netflix. Yeah, key, and she, key member of the Netflix And she talks film. about creating a culture in a business, basically. Yeah. And she talks about some of the stuff that happened at Netflix. Now, I'll tell you what I thought about this book at the time, Johnny. I thought it was absolutely rubbish. What I should have reframed myself and said was, it just wasn't very relevant to me. Yeah, but right. actually, there were some good lessons in there. From a, May I? Of course, yeah. From a building culture perspective, I thought. I remember at the time you and I debated quite vociferously about this. Um, I think really what we want out of today's show is... Should you read it? Should you read it? I'll tell you what, there was a couple of things I got out of it. Somebody really smart in every job, chapter six, was a killer chapter for me. About hiring smart people and the way they hired. Yes, which um, is interesting because it's completely different to Peter Drucker, I thought. Yes, in many respects, because he talks about a man for the job. Yeah, Drucker would have said, don't worry if they're smart, we'll worry whether they can do the job. If they're, if they're an absolute wally, that's fine. What, what, so it was, it's actually interesting, if you if you go back to the piece of drug which we'll talk about in a minute, is the difference in management thinking yes. from what yes. was an apocryphal text in Peter Drucker in, in to, the 70s. to, in reality, a, a case study here of... Well, hiring in Silicon Valley right now. Hiring in Silicon Valley right now and making billions, that they're just saying, just hire smart people, it will be all right. Now, I have to say I agree with Patty McCord, actually. Yes, well, you and I are right in that space with that, aren't we, at the moment? Yeah, I think it's right. But, but, but the other parts of the book, though, Jonathan, you know, was about building Netflix and yeah. creating cultures. And I don't, I don't know, I don't necessarily think it addressed it. There was a couple well. of other things I liked. The, the, the final chapter was The Art of Good Goodbyes. 
about firing people well and accepting that sometimes it's time for people to go, not because they suck, but because the business is changing. Yes, yeah, I've forgotten that. Sure. And the way she presented that, I thought, was a very, very useful chapter mm. on making, on firing people well, I thought was a really very elegant idea about how you can part in company with people in a way that they, A, talk well about you, but B, that recognising the importance of transitions in companies and the company's transition. Well, she said the company changed. Yeah. And, and therefore, what was a brilliant hire wasn't. Yes, and having employees understand the transition in the company. Yes. And letting people know that that's how things are going to be. Yes. Well, I, the other thing that, the only other part that I liked about Patsy McCord's book, actually, was about when she was hiring, she said you've got to think laterally when you're hiring people. Yes. She was talking about hiring the techies. If you I, I liked, there was the one story about how um, she was under a lot of pressure to hire from big name uh, colleges, big name companies, mm. and they found some guy who was quite a lonely developer at a small company, a small bank, mm. who just interviewed incredibly well, came across incredibly well, and in the final analysis actually turned out to be an outstanding hire, mm-hmm. and that he was a mold-breaking hire for them as a business and changed a lot of the culture out of, oh, well, you didn't go to Harvard, MIT, so you can't be right. Absolutely. So, so, that's, so, so there, was that's... A lot, there was a lot to get out of the book. Who would I recommend it for? If you were a sales guy out on the streets right now, that's not a great read for you. No, it's not. It's not. Good read for a HR person, though. Or, or, or an internal recruiter. If you're a senior HR leader or a HR leader of any sort, it's not even a good read, it's an essential read. You're in trouble if you haven't read it. Yeah, I thought it was good for that, yeah. You've really dropped the ball if you're in HR and you've not read it. Glad we chose it. If you're in a leadership position, it should be in your list of 20 things. It'd be, it'd be a listen to an audible in the car. Yes, I wouldn't be sat on the beach with it, but I would probably, well, what is it, 100 and... How many pages are we on? How many pages has she got? 149 pages. That's going to be a four-hour audio book. That's a drive to a client appointment. Yes. So yeah. the next book, interestingly, that we read was um, The Wolf of Wall Street. Now, actually, we don't have The Wolf of Wall Street because Jonathan <laughs> threw his in the bin. I did throw mine in the bin, yes. Now, I, go on then, Johnny. Tell me about this book, what you didn't like, because obviously I'm going to stick up for it in a minute. What didn't I like... If I'm honest, I'm struggling to cast my mind back because I can't pick it up and have a look at it. I'd say about the thing about Jordan Belford, so, so I can actually remember this, and I'm a man who gets rid of information if I don't like it. So Belford was the guy at the Wolf of Wall Street. Belford created a straight-line selling technique. That's right, yeah. And actually, the thing I really like about Belford's book is he has a model that is different to other people's. It's not just a bastardization of somebody else's. Because let's get it right. Uh, Jeb Blount Objections... I thought really that was a patchwork quilt of other people's work all put into his book. Yeah, it was a bit like Info. We'll we'll get to Mr. Blunt. It was a bit like Info, I thought. Whereas, actually, whether you like The Wolf of Wall Street, whether you like the the, the guy, what was his name again? It's just slipped my mind. Jordan Belford. Whether you like Belford or not, not, he actually has a model that he gave to rookies who then went and sold stuff. He went and sold stuff that didn't exist. So what? Why are you criticising it? He was successful with his model. We, we're all good selling lines. Yeah, but that's just that's just nonsense. You've just been argumentative for argumentative yes, points. Am, yes, I am. He took rookies off the street who then sold stuff and made money. Oh, didn't he? Oh, maybe I misunderstood that. Well, he sold a line. Did he, did he take people off the street and turn them into sales people? 
Did Tell People the Truth turn them into salespeople? He turned them into people who sold lies. But did they sell stuff? They sold lies, yes. Did they sell stuff or not? Yes, they sold lies. If they didn't sell lies, <laughs> their lies sold them stuff. They didn't sell a lie. Their lies well, enabled them to sell actually, stuff. If, 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 in reality, it was a Ponzi-style fraud. No, it wasn't. So, they sold stock. They just lied about how good the stock was. No, the stock didn't exist. The stock did exist when they started. When they were selling penny stocks, they existed. Yeah. They use lies to sell stock. Now, whether you agree with the selling technique or not, yeah. So I'm going to take it away. I'll tell you what I did like about the Jordan Belfort book was it did have a methodology. I didn't get a lot of takeaways from it. I thought at the time it was a little bit facile. I'll tell you what the takeaway I did get from it, and I think I'm not a better salesman for having read that book. Fair enough, but I'll tell you the thing that you cannot dispute. What the, the thing that it proves is, have a model. Get a model, any model so and long stick as, to a model. Have a model, any model, so long as it's a model. As long as it's a model. Correct. And I completely agree with that. And actually... Have a system, have a process, have some methodology to the way you sell. And actually, the amount of salespeople we meet where you think, why is this guy not quite right? It's usually because you can't... It's because they're inconsistent. Because you can't pinpoint they're their in, model. They're inconsistent. Yeah, they're absolutely. Model. And you, you drill into a deal story. How did you win that deal? What, what's your methodology typically in an environment like that? Exactly. And the pickup, you immediately realise this guy doesn't have a concrete methodology. And he had a model that suited his market. Yes. And so I'll tell you what I think of it. If I was a sales guy and I was selling fairly low order value, transactional, tactical stuff, that's an incredibly important thing. They sharpen that, as you think. If you are a business to consumer sale. Or no sale. If you're in B2C, it's a must read. If you're in B2C, if you're selling tellies in Comet, if that selling exists, you should be reading it. Yeah. But, uh, um, and, and I did like it for that. And the other part of it is, I thought it was, you know, I don't really like reading books, I only do it for the benefit of this show. I am, um, I'm joking, but I thought it was quite a good, it was an interest, interesting and an enjoyable book to read. Well, it's a couple of interesting anecdotes, aren't there? And he's a good scripter. He's got good scripts, Belford. That's what we did like about it. I know. It's a good book. But one of the things I did really like was his, the point he made about sales scripts yeah. and the importance of scripts. And obviously you and I are both very fond of a good script in the right circumstances. So the biggest companies in the world, IBM was built on them. Just having a good script, why would you say something that's not as effective as somebody who said it before, who got it right and keeps getting it right? Great. I just copy them, me. Yeah, 100%. So that was that. So I liked it more than you, I think. I, I, I would read it. You know, I thought it was a good one. Yeah, I found it frustrating. I did throw it in the bin after we read it. And it's the only one I have thrown in the bin. Fair enough. The next one, then. The next one was David Sandler's You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. I know they don't have a title, it just annoys me. Well, there was a lot that annoyed you about this, wasn't there? Yes. Well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at my... Well, I think here. you preferred this book more than me. And, 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 and let's get it right, you know, this is basically the Sandler selling model, which is a very, very popular selling model. One of the underpinning criteria of it is a submarine, uh, as odd a metaphor as that would seem. Which is a not overwhelmingly dissimilar model to the one that we saw in the previous book, really, give or take a couple of bits. It was a model. It's and a model, yeah. the fact that it was a model, it was a good model. And the, and the metaphor of the model is uh, go into one chamber, lock it off before you go into the next. Yes. Basically, that's it. Yes. That's, his sub, that's his submarine. Now, what's interesting about Sandler is how many people we come across in the industry 
who will tell you that Sandler sales training was a game, a life-changing event for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. And what we, you and I, were, we were both very excited about it when we started, because we thought, poor, this is this is going to be a life-changing event for us. I, if I look now, maybe that's a lack of reinforcement development on my own part, but I've not taken much away from it. It reinforced a couple of things that I've always yes. thought were truisms. Yeah. Which I think, whilst I've never put it in such a uh, well-formed manner, and you do this all the time actually, is get one part, cover it off, move on. Yeah. That's what his summary says. Yeah. The second thing that, that Sandler talks about is the fact that the salesperson and the prospect are equals. That I thought, I think that's the bit that changes the game for a lot of the salespeople. Yes, I do agree. And, and the bit, the, well, there's a couple of bits because he talks about it being sales training for non salespeople, doesn't he? Yes. And I think the bit that got your goat with it was this whole almost derogatory who would want to be a salesman thing. Well, he spends his life making excuses in the book for being a salesperson. Yes. Um, and I didn't like that about the book, I must say. Yeah, and it's all, there's a lot of sort of, there's lots of nobody wanted to be a salesperson, who wants to be a salesperson, this is the sales book for people who didn't want to really be salespeople, yes. but ended up in sales, and whose parents were embarrassed that they're in sales, yada, yada, yada. And, and I get what he was getting at, and the whole creating equanimity between you and the client. One of the things he talks about a lot, that you and I disagreed with, but I do agree with, to an extent, is not something for consultancy. If you recall, yeah, I do know. I couldn't, no, remember, I couldn't remember that about the book. No, you said, no, you said it. That was a big bit about how you must be selling features and benefits. And about, I think, if I was a bit wet, if I'd been trained a bit wet, and I was trained, and I'd originally been trained as a salesperson to be a little bit hat doffing and subservient to my customers, this would be a game changer. I'd say for me that 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 book suits an FMCG salesperson more than it does an IT salesperson. So why do you think the technology sales guys or so many of the technology sales guys rave so much about it? Because I think that's, it, and, I think that's the only thing they've been trained on. And I've got to say, I, I do recommend people go back to oh. this as a podcast. If you said, should I? Is, is this one of the podcasts I should listen to? Definitely. Um, go back, listen to it. There's a lot. Read the book and read it along with the podcast. Mm. Um, it was a, a very interesting book. For me, I think I, we, you and I didn't benefit as much about it because we were raised in quite tough environments. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I Where do. we were taught that the customer isn't always right. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, but why do the IT guys like it? You know, I think... Because um, actually, as a concept and an idea, it's a good one. I think. It's really good. You know, there's no two ways about it. Actually, it's all flash, and, and, it's flooding back to me. And, and I'll tell you, the other thing about it is, is there's a model that you can follow that's not ridiculously yes. complicated. And I think that we all like a model that we can follow and, and apply in a situation. And that's a point that you know, we argued a, bit a, a minute ago about Belford. But I think the best books are those where you can take a model from it and then follow the model or manage people on the model, whichever way you look at it. And that has a model. And in fairness to Sandler, that's a model that he invented that obviously works. And I can see why it fits in, in that IT environment 
Because I can say to you, listen, Jonathan, whereabouts are you up to in your submarine with flogging to that company X or that company Y? That's right. And, and there's some useful stuff here about separating the role of the salesperson from your identity as a salesperson. Yeah, but I mean, that's so, so to recap on that, for those yeah. that haven't listened, he's saying, you're saying you're not being rejected, your role has been rejected, so you need to keep Pecker up. Yes. So, 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 question, would you recommend again, uh, I'm four hours in my car, well, how long was this? No, no, I'd read that. How long was this one? 221. I'd say actually this is one that you buy as a hard copy and you annotate. You know, if anybody's watching the video version of the show, you can see here, to be fair, Michael always knows when I'm really into a book because my annotations are much more detailed, and I annotated the life out of this. Um, literally, page by page, it is covered in annotations because we did actually have an awful lot to talk about. So, it, did it teach me loads? No. Would I recommend it? And not any harm, does it? God, no. God, no. And I think, you know, let's get it right. If you and I were professionally qualified salespeople as me members of the General Sales Council... That would be under the degree syllabus. Well, and we had to do 28 hours of CPD a, a year. That's a good four, five, six hours of CPD. I agree, yeah. So our next book... What was the next one? Drucker. Not recommended for salespeople for me, this. Do you know, I hated reading this book. I thought, I tell you what I thought, and I've said it at the time. Oh, oh man. It was literally like wading oh, through treacle. I found myself switching off after <laughs> half a page of it. But I tell you what, what's interesting what's is... some good takeaways? Yeah, I, I think it needs to be rewritten for 2018, and then it'd be Maybe an absolute world of Some relative of Peter Drucker needs to take the... Well, I've got to say, you know... Well, we're, just explain how we came about reading this. Well, you picked it. So I picked it. Much to Mike's chandra, as they would say. Um, why did I pick it? Because I've been listening to a guy on the Tim Ferriss show, and the guy on the Tim Ferriss show was, oh, that's right, he was the kid that invented Dropbox. Oh, I remember now. Yeah, he was yeah, a multi yeah, 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 yeah. And Tim was saying, you know, Tim always asks on the show, you know, what what books have been life changing for you? And the lad, I can't remember his name. He just goes, oh yeah, uh, effectively executive Peter Drucker. Uh, I just don't think you could build a business right. So I'm, so I'm sitting in my car thinking, all right, okay. You know, you're clearly, clearly a very bright boy. Uh, I'm going to give that a go. And we brought it in for book club. I get why he said it, because he's an absolute hyper nerd. And, you know, you've got seven key elements on effectiveness can be learned, knowing time, what can I contribute, making strength productive, first things first. It's a tough old read. It's a tough read, but, you know, you pick out some of the stuff that you take. The oh, thing that I've still carried with me from it... Don't tell me, time tracking. I'm still recording my time. And actually, it's four or five months since we're ready now. Correct. And the other part, for me, that, that was part one. So one of the things Drucker says for the people that are listening is, he says, if you measure your time, you will know where your time goes and you yeah. will be more effective with your time. Yeah. And I mean, he's just 100% on the move. Because I've got to tell you, I think that we have loads of these sales guys that we place and we deal with who drive up and down the country for no real reason. Because they don't quite add up yeah. at the end of the week. For example, on the time thing. Hey, that's what I mean, on the time thing. They don't quite add up at the end of the week. Jesus Christ, I spent 27 hours in my car this week. Yeah. Uh, what they think is, they get to Friday night, they open a bottle of wine, they spark a bottle of wine, they're knackered and they think, I've got time this week. Mm. But actually, we spent 27 hours in their car listening to Jock Sport. 
Correct. And what a drunk is saying is, had you recorded your time and you sat down on a Sunday and did a weekly review and gone, my God, I spent all that time in my car. How many of those appointments are worth going to? Oh my God. Actually, I could have spent only 16 hours okay. in my car. And the other thing Drucker says about recruiting is, Drucker says, find out what the role's doing. Yeah. And then find somebody to, who's got the capability of doing that role and ignore all the other bits about Yes, it's all about all about their capability to, to do that role. Yeah, which is very different. Patty McCord says just hire a smart person. And just hire smart people and they'll work it out. Now I do agree with Patty McCord actually, but do you know what the funny thing about Drucker is? Is whilst it's without doubt one of the most difficult things to read, very difficult. I mean, I, I, I you know, let's put this into some context, Mike. I'm currently reading Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. It is incredibly dense. Um, before that, I read Sam Harris's book on Waking Up, which is about mindfulness and human consciousness. And before that, I read Stephen Pinker's Better Angels of Our Nature. I'm used to reading dense books, but this is dense. It's just hard work. Very but I'll tell you what, it sticks in your mind, and I, I, I mentally refer back to it a little bit. So, Johnny, should somebody read that? I'll tell you what, if you read that, you would become a better salesperson. Do you think about salesperson? Yes. I think you become a better executive. You become a better executive, it and therefore very... you would become a better salesperson. Yes, you, you, because you, you will think about, it, just by sheer nature of fact, you'll think I, about what is the definition I, of I, I it's a, a bit like It's a bit like, if you want to improve your golf swing, work on your core. Yes. If you had a strong core, you'd have a better golf swing. Yeah, if you were doing Turkish get-ups all day, you'd, you'd have a better golf swing. Smashing but it doesn't directly affect the plane of your swing. No. That's what it's like. Should you read it, Yes, but oh, prepare yourself. Yeah, it's not an easy one, but you will get some mega takeaways. And also, you'll be very credible at dinner parties. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I can just see me being credible with that. <laughs> yeah, so it was okay. I did take a big takeaway from it. I must say, I am still time recording. I'm still thinking about the time in a different way after having read it. I still reference it with my clients. Oh, it's a great book to reference. No, no, my clients, they'll say, oh, yeah, I don't like, you know, him because he's too short or whatever they'll say. And I'll say, yeah, but can he do the job? I'll say, well, actually, can he do the job? Yeah. Can he do, does he have the, well, you, I, I have a very similar line, isn't it? Does he have the skills to do the job? Because you just forget everything else, who cares? Oh, anyway. I don't like his suit, this and that. Yes, I have that, yeah. Didn't like his suit. So what? Oh, no, he's a bit too enthusiastic and stuff. Does he have the skills to do the job? Great. Yes or no? Correct. The next one then, Objections by Jeb Blount. This is clearly yours because it's got a coffee stain on it. I wouldn't yeah. be disrespectful like that. Well, you, you don't drink coffee, either. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> i tell you what, Objections Jeb Blount loved the way it was written and, and, and the praise he is, this is a book for overcoming objections. But it ended up not being one. Yes, but if you were looking at the parts of your game that you were trying to address and Part of that is addressing objections. That is what this book is aimed to do. Yeah, okay. It, yes, it will get you thinking about objection handling. You know, what we'll say, should people buy this? You should buy that if you want to think about objections. And I tell you what we did do, actually, in fairness. It talks about straight stone, stone face objections. It talks about subtle objections and micro-agreements and all those various bits. Some good stuff in there. Very good. Elegant script, really well written. I'm a bit of a Jeb Blount fan, fanboy, Mike. You know, fanatical prospecting, I, I think, is one of the best sales books I've ever read. 
Well, that was building up like you thought I was going to give that a mega mark. I think it was okay, though. I've got to be very careful with it, because I'm bitter, because I asked Jeff to come on the show. He was one of the first people that we asked to come on the show when we decided we wanted to have guest authors. And Jeff, in reality, ignored us repeatedly, didn't he, Lauren? Um, so I'm a bit bitter, and I have to be careful about being biased about it. It's an okay book. There's some good takeaways in it. For me, my issue is recently I can't help but feel that Jed is working harder on selling sales training on his course. What's the book delivers on what it says? No, I don't believe it does. I think it goes part way to it. You'll get stuff out of it. But for me, if I... If you I, gave that to somebody that had been selling for six months and said, listen, right, do that. They, that, that would be a good place to it, start. It would be okay continued professional development, yes. What do you reckon? Why is that interesting about it? Um, there's not one thing I've taken out of it where I would say I've now put that in my kit bag. Yeah, well, let, well let's actually answer the question, though. If you, if I'd given you that when you'd been selling for six months. Oh, young salesperson? Yes. Definitely. That's what I did. So, yeah, sorry, I took that out of context. Should the, should the people we place read it? Probably not. What, if I'm a senior sales guy? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell know. you. I'll tell you the, the sheer nature of the fact that you're going to sit down and read a book about objections, and have somebody talk to you about objections for several hours of your life. If you're a 50 year old sales guy that's been there, seen it, done it, and is world class, it's a good idea. Oh, because okay. just by nature of the fact that you're thinking about going back to some cognitive conscious awareness of what's my objection on doing like. Yes. That. In and of itself, if you said if that's the only reason why you read it is to spend four or five hours immersed in thoughts on your objection humbling, then god damn it, buy it and, got, and listen to our podcast because we make some great. I've got to say, using the um, the, the golfing analogy, yeah. that is like getting you set up straight. It's like standing square. It's like somebody, yeah, yeah, it's like somebody walking over to you and saying, "Listen, your right hand's still top. You, you, you're looking yeah, at Yeah, you're worrying about powering through the shot, and the pro comes up to you. Want to try the club right, yeah, it? correct. So it's good basics cover, yeah. And I, and I think you know it raises some interesting points part way through about not dodging the objection. Yeah. You know, let's get the objection out of the table. I think a lot of people just dodge the objection instead of actually getting it out of the table. Yeah. He also defines what an objection is. I think a lot of people think an objection is just the client that wanted to buy your stuff, whereas actually what Jeb's saying is the client that wanted to buy your stuff. You know, you're, you're months late. The client was objecting to micro objections two months ago that you should have overcome. Yeah, and I just think that framework of objections is good. I, I did sort of like the way he wrote it. I get your point towards the end. He just starts fogging his own. Um, it's a pitch for a course on objection only, which is probably pretty good. some stuff back on you. Well, yeah. Would you you know would you recommend to buy that? I think that'd be all right. How much was it? Oh well, I have the point. digital edition as well. Not look at the back of the book. They don't cost that much to do. No, it's, it's going to be a ten dollar Amazon book. That's a good tenor. Yeah, exactly. Tenor, and you know, how long does it take to read a book of this nature? Well, you and I both know because we tend to read a couple of chapters a week, and we've done that over four weeks. I can't spend more than six hours reading it. it is it worth six hours of your life? Definitely. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, if we were doctors or lawyers, we had to do CPD, and you said to me, "Is that worth X many of my twenty hours of CPD next year?" Yes. Right. Last book was. We don't have it here. It was Keith Rosen. Sales Leadership by Keith Rosen. So Keith is the first of our guests. What a great guest he was as well. He was awesome. Has anybody, uh, uh, Lauren, that's obviously gone live 
uh, on Friday that episode, didn't it? So that's live, it's online, it's on Vimeo, it's on... I really like Bucky's energy. I thought he was a top guy. He was great. He was great. I've got to say, though, I liked his book. For me, as I said to Keith on the show, the first book that's ever been well-written about sales management. Well, very one of very few, but it was also very well-written. I'll tell you what I liked about... Well, it was well-written for a start. It was easy to read. For me, he left nothing back. And what I mean by that, for those of you who do watch and listen to the show, I get a bit down on these guys that write the book because it's an advert. Keith's not written an advert. Well, well, just Keith, Keith doesn't really, in, in sales leadership, Keith Rosen doesn't write an advert for Keith Rosen sales training. Keith Rosen writes a manual for sales leadership. Well, how to, how to manage salespeople. And it is a Another... comprehensive Soup to nuts. Well, it's a it's not far off enough for Haynes Manual. I thought it is absolutely a Haynes Manual for coaching salespeople and a good one. And it's not necessarily just IT. It suits the IT industry well, actually. Yes, but it, but it suits generally if general sales team. If you're running a sales team, any sort, of, no matter if you're running an inside sales team, if you're running load of recruiting consultants, it doesn't matter. That was a good book. I love that to bits. That's been my favourite thus far. <sighs> Interesting. Because can I say my favourite thus far? And I'm not saying it's the one that I would deploy uh, is the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not, right. I'm not saying it's the, right. I'm not saying it's the one I'd do. Let's be, you know, let's be enough saying clear. But I just like people that stand up and say, right, this is my idea. This is what I want to do. This is how I do it. He's very straight, John. Just person. straight. That's what he is. If you full on, look, that's the method. Do it. Do it or bugger off. Yeah. Now, yeah. now let's use that as oh, a. It's, it's very. That's the method. If you don't want to do it, great. People. Now let's compare that then to Keith Rosen, because Keith Rosen's book is the other end of the spectrum. Keith Rosen, the number one thing in that book for me that was the biggest takeaway is stop being the chief problem solver. So what Keith says is, he says currently what you're doing as a sales manager is people are coming to you with problems, you're then telling them how to, yeah. how to solve the problem, or worse still doing it yourself. He said that will kill you. Not yeah. necessarily physically, but it will wear you out. And Keith's book is, I think it's it should have been called Sales Coaching, actually, not Sales Leadership. Yeah, but his first book is Coaching Sales People into Sales Champions. Ah, right. But don't you think it's more of a sales coaching and leadership book? Yes, yeah, so if there's anything leadership. it's missing is the word leadership. It, it, it's about leading by coaching is, is the real crux of the book. But actually, if you looked at it as a leadership Tome. He didn't do much leading. It's not quite delivering on the leading. The you know, there's no Winston stuff. Churchill in it. <laughs> no, there isn't. Well, you know, to me, there's yeah. none of that. It's yeah. much more sort of. Uh, and but the only criticism I had of Keith is, I think, I think the book has a tendency for self-deprecation. There's one bit that says, "I've really let you yeah, down." So and Keith did broach that on the show. We and talked about that with Keith, didn't we? The, the, yeah, yeah. Where, where um, he, we argued the toss with him quite vociferously last week. Where, I just got straight stuck into it. Yeah, he's talking about um, being incredibly humble with yourselves before about how you've coached them in the past. And we just felt that was too self-deprecating mm. for the UK market. And we felt that particularly in the sector we operate in, people would run a mile. Mm. Or eat some poor sales leader or like And though what I would really like to point out is that is a end-to-end Haynes manual of coaching salespeople. And let's get it right. How many sales leaders have had any coaching or training? To be a sales leader, none of them. And when you look at the, you look at the, um, 
references in the book. There's some absolutely bloody stellar references, aren't there? Uh, Understandably so. You can see why Keith Rosen is getting work as a trainer and coach with some of the world's biggest companies. Absolutely. So, yeah, I thought that was a cracker, and uh, that would be for me, that's been my favourite. Why? Because it, it's had a lot of personal takeaways for me. That's been my favourite. The Wolf of Wall Street book has been my favourite. It's definitely not the one I would do. The one that actually has the most structure and it's my least favourite to read is Drucker. But you've got a lie out of it in the end. I just think everything Drucker says is right. And I'll tell you what, it's stood the would test of time. Would you read more Peter Drucker? No. Well, well, I don't know. The thing about Drucker is it's a stood the test of time. And you can see why all the top boys in Silicon Valley rate it. It was written in the 70s. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, and it hadn't changed, which is why it's such a pain in the ass to there's read. There's loads of billionaires walking around Silicon Valley all saying the book to read is the effect. You can see why it was, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's boiling down. It's a bit like going to the gym, right? You know, my least favourite thing at the gym is legs. Squat. What's the best thing for you to do? Squat. Squat. Deadlift. Bench press. What's squat. your least favourite thing to do? The hard bits. And the drucker's a bit like a deadlift, where you think, oh, It's a bad day to make, damn it, deadlifts. But is it one of the best things for you? But do you know what, Mike? We all know people that have got big upper bodies and skinny legs. Absolutely. And at the end it gives in. Yeah. So next year... 2019. First up, I believe, Lauren, uh, uh, we've got scheduled, and now we're, we're in a bit of a, a, a roll now. Pretty much every month in 2019, we've got a new book. Pretty much every month in 2019, we've got the author of the book coming on at the end of the cycle of the book to talk about the book. First up in January, Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong, is Eat Their Lunch by Anthony, I think the pronunciation is Yanarino. That's what I'm going for, anyway. I'd be going with Ian Arino. Ian Arino. Because it says Ian at the start. I'm sure I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm going for Ian Arino. Um, and, you know, let's get this right. This guy's a big cheese in the sales book world. Is he? I've never heard of him. Big cheese. Big, this is, this is a, a best-selling big name in sales books. Cool. Um, and his book, this is his latest his latest book is called Eat Their Lunch. I'm going to just give you the cover. Uh, shall I give, give it so that everybody knows what it's about? Fine, yeah. So, uh, not too late to tell your significant other that this is what you want in your uh, stocking. It says, do you know the feeling of having a wonderful, groundbreaking new product and a list of prospects who desperately need it, making it easy to close lucrative deals with more effort? Neither do I. Like it or not, sales is often a zero-sum game. Your win is somebody else's loss. Most of us work in mature, overcrowded industries, our offerings perceived brackets often unfairly as commodities. Growth requires taking market share from our competitors while they try to do the same to us. How else can you grow 12% a year in an industry that's only growing by 3%? It's not easy for any salesperson to, ex to execute a competitive displacement, what I call eating their lunch. But this book offers a plan to find and maintain long-term competitive advantage. Lest you think this requires a bloodthirsty whatever it takes attitude, that's the opposite of my approach. You should never compete by doing anything illegal or immoral to put your reputation at risk. If you act like a mafia dog, you only make yourself difficult to trust and impossible to see as a long term partner. You don't need to trash your competitors, you need to create an offer more value, and I'll show you how I'll show you how to do that by and then he explains how he's going to show us how to do that in the rest of the Do you know, I hadn't, I, I hadn't realised that was it, actually. So I'm actually rather excited about reading this. And then what were we reading after that? Then after that, the book that we're reading, and we can always look this up just to give our audience a bit, is a book by a guy called James Muir. 
So Anthony Anarino is on the show late January. The next book up is The Perfect Close by James Muir. And then the next book is Bob Berg's Go Give Us Sell More, which is a little bit of an oldie, but apparently a very goodie. Cool. And Bob will also be on the show in March. So we've got the first three months that's lined up. So um, I think what I'm going to suggest we do, Lauren, is we write on the uh, iTunes link and on all the other podcast links and all the other platforms what the upcoming books are. We also put that out on YouTube and we also make sure that we just keep posting the schedules so people can read along. Because I think what we've discovered is people are reading along with the books. Yes, they are, yeah. Um, well, part of the reason for, for, for giving the summary is, you know, this year, I don't know what our listener rating has gone up by as a percentage, but it's definitely increased. <laughs> well, it's easy to say, isn't it? Because we're six months in, so we were at zero. Yeah, but his first book we read, Patty McCord, God, well, I think we had about 60, 70 people watching this. But that's the point, isn't it? That's the point of doing a review. It's, but now we're getting to a bit of stride, yeah. people know what they're expecting and all yeah, those various and, bits. And if anybody does fancy starting the, 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 the journey with us again, you know, if you're doing a lot of driving, it's fascinating. Uh, something I, I quite fancy doing myself is going back and listening to the first episode. For me, as a content creator and somebody that's created the content with you and with Lauren and with the team here, is to see where we've come from in terms of what the content looked and sounded like to what the content looks and sounds like now. And I, I, bet, I, bet, that. I bet that's, in and of itself, that will be a journey for you um, as we've got more and more slick at doing it. And actually, it's going to get slicker and slicker into the new year as we're, we're working out more and more stuff and we're getting better at producing the show. Mm. So, uh, yeah, there it is. Looking forward to Christmas? Obviously. You are, well, in reality, Mr. Christmas, aren't you? I can't wait. Uh, uh, just so you know, uh, I've got parents who are one of Michael's children, um, and we went yesterday to see A Christmas Carol. That is how Christmassy Mike is, that he does the whole build-up with theatre and Christmassy stuff. Yes. It's very good, actually. You weren't that impressed, were you? Do you know the thing about the theatre is, I know I'm going to sound like a Philistine now, I never look forward to it when I go. I always sit there and think, yeah, this is pretty good. But then it doesn't stay with me very long. So so I, I have my, my endorphin rush of, Theatre's good. Then by the time I've got back home, I think, yeah, we haven't booked another theatre ticket. No, Mrs. B will book one inevitably. I thought it was okay. I thought, no, no, that's unfair. Whilst watching it, I thought it was very good. Right. Very good set design. A Christmas Carol at the Leeds Playhouse. That was very Christmassy. And you got rock and roll panto tickets. Ah, listen, man, you, you know, underneath my Christmas tree, there is a mini village with a train that goes round. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. If ever you want to find my house, it leads. <laughs> just it's, drive here when it's dark and it's like the Batman beacon shining into yes, the air. Yes, it is. It really, really is. Mike's house can be seen from space on Christmas Eve. <laughs> Good. You know, the, the astronauts at the International Space Station know it's Christmas because Mike's at home. Well, we see, we live on, a, on this little estate, actually, and uh, we've lived on it for five. This is our fifth year, I think. And each year, the neighbours keep catching up. Oh, really? It's getting competitive. Yeah, now. yeah, it's getting quite good, actually. I can't remember, I was looking it out. But uh, it's going to be like that film with Danny DeVito, Depth of Halls. <laughs> we're getting right. there. Right, good. Well, listen, everybody, we'd just like to say formally before we go, uh, thank you to everybody who supported the show this year in 2018. 2019, it is going to be a belter in terms of the show. We're going to get better and better guests, more and more exciting. Production values are going to go up and up and up. See you next year. Thank you. Bye-bye.